0: Thanks for tuning in to the Foundry Church podcast where we encourage others to forge a lifelong reliance on God. Join us live, in person, or online at 1030 on Sunday morning. You can find out more about us online at thefoundrychurch.com Find us on social media by searching The Foundry Work. God bless. Yeah, we're kicking off a series of sermons today. Jonah, it's for the next two weeks, and let me make a plug for the series after. Uh, we're entering into a season, a series of two series that are going to lead us up till Easter. So Jonah, this week and next week. All right, and we're not even going to talk about the big whale. All right. Uh, But then the series afterward that this series is going to lead us into is uh, uh, because I'm a glutton for punishment. Um, It's called Elephant in the Room. And it's a series that is designed for you to bring your friends who might have some hookups, hangups, some hindrances because of some issues uh, that the church handles poorly. Uh, So we're going to talk everything from race and ethnicity to what a biblical marriage looks like to uh, why don't we ever talk about materialism in the church when that's such a big issue to all these things leading up to Easter. And that series is for you to grab one of those invite cards back there by the the door. They're not just there for good looks. They're for you to grab and invite a friend to hear these hot topic issues, these elephant in the room series uh, coming out. And leading us to uh, this Easter season where we get to celebrate the reason for our faith. So I'm just making a little plug for that series and for the season that we're entering into leading up to Easter. Now, many of you know that Christina, my wife, uh, she suffers from severe migraine headaches. And when uh, we were first dating, she got a migraine and it was going on like the third or the fourth day. Something ridiculous like that. And she wanted, I think, to test how much I actually really liked her. And so she asked me to take her to the emergency room, right? And I said, like, okay, this is my chance, right? I, I said, I, I will take you to the emergency room. And it was a sketchy emergency room in the backwoods of Kentucky, right? And this, this ER uh, is where we were sitting, and we were there for ever and we were finally called back and the doctor was asking all these questions Uh, he had her stand up and do what looked like a field sobriety test right and I'm all about at this moment not taking care of Christina, but like showing off. And so like he was having her touch her nose and, and with her eyes closed, she had to stand on one foot. She had to uh, push back on the doctor's uh, hand as he tried to uh, like push her arms down. She had to do all these things, right? And she was an incredible amount of pain. And again, me trying to be like the guy uh, to protect his new girlfriend and, and look good in the process of doing it. I said, is this kind of necessary? Again, right? We were in the backwoods of Kentucky and they, they were in the middle of what we would call an opiate crisis, <laughs> right? And so I was thinking, oh, he just doesn't want to give out medicine. That's not what they do. But luckily, the nice doctor, he could see what I was trying to do, trying to take care of Christina and impress her. And he said, I'm just trying to check her reflexes to make sure that her brain and her nervous system are taking and acting the way that they're supposed to be. Now, he was just making sure that there wasn't a bigger problem than a migraine before he went on and treated it, right? Now, look, Foundry Church, you see... I learned that day not to be so stupid, right? But also learned that reflexes—they're a pretty important thing. Uh, they are—they're are, uh, quick, right? Our reflexes may be slow for some of us. I'm not going to say anything, mom, right? <laughs> Depending on who you are, right? But look, this is what I learned, right? Reflexes—is it up there? There we go. Reflexes uh, reveal the condition of the relationship between your nervous system and your brain. That's what reflexes are, and these are not just tests uh, that doctors do when you have a migraine headache, right? We've all been to the doctor, and we sit on that table, and they, they take out this little rubber hammer, and they hit you on the knee, right? And what happens? Right, the, well, what's supposed to happen, at least, Right? Your knee is supposed to kick back up into the air without you even thinking about it. You react to the force of that little rubber hammer. Right? The, the doctor is checking your reflexes. Right? Now, some of us, we have great reflexes. Right? People who uh, used to be athletes or still are athletic usually have great reflexes. Right? You ever watched a um, uh, table tennis tournament in the Olympics? Like, table tennis. Now, I I wouldn't even classify it as a sport, but those guys have some serious reflexes, right? You're watching, your eyes are bouncing back and forth across the screen because these guys just, right? They have great reflexes. Then there are people who are like this, Christina, like this little kid, (laughs) right? Boom, let's watch it again. It's fun. Oh, now I'm real. All right. Yeah, it's no (laughs) safe. Good point. Not the quickest of reflexes. I know some of you are laughing, but in your heart of hearts, down in your soul, right? You believe in Jesus and you know that that's you up there, right? (laughs) That you have the worst reflexes. You see, here's the thing about reflexes, Foundry Church. They are not just a physical thing, reflexes are an emotional thing, aren't they? Right? Have you ever been cut off on your way to work? What's your knee-jerk reaction, right? You, you honk the horn, uh, you give them a one-finger wave, right? Not the middle finger. You point at them you let them know they're doing wrong. Right? Whatever, whatever we do, we all have a reflex when we're we're cut off. How about when you're you're talking with your spouse and nobody can push your buttons like your spouse? So they they say that one thing that always drives you up the wall. How do you react? Right? Well, what what is your reflex? Do you yell? Hey, do you do you drop some curse words? Do you shut down? Do you go for a, a drive? Right, whatever we do, whatever it is, we all have a reflex. How about when you are at work and during lunch, that crazy coworker who sits on the other side of the aisle from you uh, politically makes a statement that was just a step too far. How do you react? Right? What is your uh, reflex in that situation? Do you tell them that they're crazy and that they should shut up? Right? Do, you, do you tell your other friends in the office later in the day that this guy's nuts, you can't believe what he said? Do you go home and tell your family around the dinner table how dumb that person is that you have to work with? What is your reflex? Now let me, let me zoom out here for a second. And let's look at it like this. I don't know if you know this or not, but there's this huge phenomenon happening right now in America that people are calling uh, the big sort. All right, have you heard of this? Has anyone heard of the big sort? All right, let me explain. All right, people are living uh, in places and experiencing things that they, uh, they don't like either things that are, are racially motivated, socioeconomically motivated, politically motivated, whatever it is. There doesn't have to be a reason. It's just usually one of those things. And so their knee-jerk reaction, their reflex to those things has been to move to a place where everybody thinks and acts the way that they do because, again, here's the thing, right? Reflexes are reflective reactions I will always take the path of least resistance. I'm right, just being honest, right? right our, our reflexes are always the wimpy way. Right? They're, they're the way of the punk. Right? We, we, we punk out. Right? We, we wimp out. It's easier to yell. It's easier to flip the guy off who cuts you off or, or shut down when your spouse makes us mad or, or run away from the places that make life a little difficult. Right? We can see it every day in our spiritual lives as well. Right, God will say something. God will, will do something. God will call us to something that is bigger than ourselves. And our overwhelming reflex, our, our knee-jerk reaction, is to go against what God is saying. Our reflex is to take the, the path of least resistance. Let's be honest. Right? Let, me, let me give you an example of this. Right? Over and over in the Bible, God tells us to be patient. So when we are in a situation that requires patience, uh, God, through the power of his Holy Spirit in us, reminds us of those verses of being patient and our call to be patient and how he tells us to be patient. Uh, But most of the time, at least for me, I don't know about you, I say no, right, (laughs) right? I don't want to be patient, right? I don't want to be patient. I I want to to do the exact opposite. I want the solution right now. I want the answer right now. I want everything to be taken care of right now. I don't want to be patient. Or maybe how about this? One of the the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, right? So so we're in the the situation where it arises and God through the power again of the Holy Spirit in us whispers in our ear, have a little bit of self-control. Well. We have that reflex of, no, I don't want self-control. It's only one lie, God. It's, it's only one extra drink, God. It's only one, look, God. It's only one fill in the blank. Right? Or how about that coworker that I was talking about uh, earlier who in every way possible uh, stands against you, but God has called you to be kind. What is our reflex? No. I don't want to be kind. That guy's a jerk, right? They need to get what's coming to them, God, right? They need to get the stupid knockdown of them, God. They're saying bad things about you, God. I'm just defending you, right? There are just a few things that God has called us to. And I, I don't know about you, but it's beginning to look like I can't trust my reflexes. It's, it's beginning to look like this. It's beginning to look like our reflexes don't just reveal the condition of the relationship between our nervous system and our brain. It looks like this. They reveal the condition of the relationship between our heart and God. That's what reflexes do. Right? For, for, for all of us, our initial reaction when things get tough, when, when things don't go as planned... When we get s- struck by the, the hammer of life, it reveals that what we really think of God, right? Because it's the easiest route. It's the, the, the easy, least path of resistance type of thing, right? When we are forced to react quickly, uh, do we really think that, that his ways are higher than our ways? When we're forced to, to react quickly, do we, do we really believe that God might know a little bit more than we do, or do we just kind of cop out and say, God, you don't really know what it's like to live in 2023, in right? Dude, is that what we say, right? When we have a knee-jerk reaction, do we really think ah, that, that we knew he was, was talking about turning the other cheek, but does God know who my idiot neighbor actually voted for? Or does God really know how many tools of mine that he has that never gives back? Right, when we push and we get to that that point when when, when push comes to shove and the school sends one more notice about a policy change, do we really think God knew what He was doing when He asked my family to move here? Right, and do we really think God knows the circus of Fairfax County? Our reflexes reveal a lot. Foundry Church, about our relationship with God. So here's the question. Here's the onion that we need to peel. Look at this. What do we do when our reflexes go against the call of God? Right. What do we do when our reflexes, when our knee-jerk reaction goes against the call of God? I think we can take our cues um, from, from guys who had a uh, pretty bad reflex. All right? both physically and spiritually. I, I think we can take our cue from this guy who, who reacted. He never responded. He just did the least path of resistance, and his name was Jonah. Right? A lot of you probably heard the story of Jonah maybe in Sunday school when you were little. Maybe some weird vegetables sing a song about him, and you remember that. But before you discount his story as a children's fairy tale, Jonah was a very real man. All right. All right. In 2 Kings, it mentions Jonah as a prophet who lived there in the time of King Jeroboam II. And Jesus himself, right, our Lord, mentions Jonah as a historical person in the book of Matthew. And the special thing about Jonah's story is that unlike other prophetic books in the Bible, uh, other, other stories of prophets in their message, the book of Jonah focuses on the prophet himself rather than the message that he was to say. And that's cool, right? And so that's kind of a bonus lesson real quick before we get into it. It's this, the person that a person's life can be just as much a sermon as the words that a preacher says each week. All right, that's, that's one of the things that Jonas teaches us, just a bonus lesson, as you go ahead and get your Bibles out and you turn with me to Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Now listen, uh, use the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you if you don't have a Bible, and you can take those Bibles with you. They are free for you to have, to take, to use, uh, to share, whatever you need to do with them. But turn on your phone, in your Bible, to Jonah. If you have to use the table of contents, do so. I have to. Jonah is a little book in a weird part of the Bible. All right? All right, so it's in the Old Testament. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 2 is where we're going to be. All right, we're going to start Right at the beginning. Let me turn there. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amity, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. All right, keep your keep your finger there. Again, use the table contents if you need to. All right, now, I want to stop there because I don't want us to be too quick to judge old boy Jonah, right? I don't want us right now to have a stupid knee-jerk reaction like we just talked about, right? I don't want us to, to go into this story with preconceived notions, right? I, I want it to be clear that God was calling Jonah to something, and I want to be clear about what that is, right? God was calling Jonah to go to where? Nineveh, which ancient historians say that Nineveh was the foremost city in the ancient world at that time, like the biggest capital of all capitals at that time. It was a large, important capital of a dominating empire. And so we can easily think that God was calling Jonah to a place, uh, to go to a city, to a place like Washington, D.C., or even London, something like that, right? But the truth is, Really, God was calling Jonah to go to a horrible city. And I'm not just talking about a city where, where nobody believed in God or, or they were all cowboy fans or something like that. Right? It was a horrible place. Real quick, let me, let me read to you uh, how Jonah explained this city in the book of Nahum. Right? I'm not going to have you turn there. I'm just going to read it. It says, it was this. Woe to this bloody city. It's full of lies and plunder, no end to the prey. This is what he's saying about Nineveh. Right? And then it goes on and says this, Hosts of slain, heaps and corpses, dead bodies everywhere without end, they stumble over the bodies on their way to kill more people. Right? And he's not, this isn't poetry. Right? He's giving a detailed account of what he saw Right? So, so I'm going out on a limb here, and I'm going to say that all of us would have a reflex, a knee-jerk reaction of not going into a city where there's like piles of dead bodies <laughs> everywhere. Right? Right? Nineveh was a wicked place. We wouldn't want to go there either. Right? It had all, all the things that would make us want to run in the opposite direction. Death, lies, the sin, everywhere. But let's be clear. Right? That is exactly why God wanted Jonah to go there, right? Remember, for what God, uh, remember what God said. He said, go to Nineveh, right? Back in verse 2, so for their evil has come up before me, right? God says, I want you to go there because their evil is up in my face, right? It's getting ridiculous. It's right in front of God. It's like the entire city of Nineveh, is standing on a ladder and is waving their evilness, right? (laughs) that finger, and not the pointer finger, the middle finger this time, because it's Nineveh in the face of God. And God says, Jonah, do something about this. You want to forge your life on me? You say you're a servant of mine? I got a mission for you. Go to Nineveh. Right, he wants Jonah to face them head on. I love the way that the message paraphrase of the Bible puts these two verses. It says, up on your feet, old boy. I added old boy. It says, up on your feet and on your way to the big city of Nineveh, preach to them. They're in a bad way. And I just can't ignore it any longer. <laughs> that, that's Nineveh, right? God, God, like the good general that he is, says, hey, Jonah, it's time to stand up. <laughs> <laughs> put, put action to what you've been saying, right? It's time to face them head on. It's straight up in my face now, Jonah. I can't ignore it anymore. And you know you're going to help me face it. And so let's read on. Verses uh, 3 through 5 of that chapter 1. It says, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it and to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Right, but the Lord, it says, hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the, the ship threatened to break up. The mariners, like the, the guys on the ship, were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that the ship had into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. Man. All right. So, so what does Jonah do after God says, help me out here in Nineveh? All right, All right I know it's bad, I see it, it's up in my face, uh, but just just help me out here. His reflex is a loud what? No. Right. H-E, double hockey sticks, no. Right? right? And not just a no, but... But I'm out of here, no <laughs> right? he, he runs to the city of Joppa And then he catches a boat to Tarshish right? This is the equivalent of God telling me to go to New York And I say nope And I fly to LA and then I hop on a boat to Hong Kong All right? All right? Tarshish is not just a di- different city than Nineveh right? It is in the complete opposite direction In the complete opposite end of the known world <laughs> from Nineveh right? and So what does he do? He gets on this boat, he's trying to escape God, and then he takes a nap. He takes a nap. Now, I want you to, in your Bibles, underline the words fast asleep. Fast asleep. Right, because I I don't want you to miss this. It's not that just Jonah's reflexes have brought him far away from the call and 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 God, and and he's running in the opposite direction, and that he can still sleep. It's not just that. Right? It's not just that. There's just a a huge storm that's brewing outside, and Jonah was asleep. Right? The, The big thing that I don't want you to miss here is that on top of the boat were sailors. Right, get this, right? You got to get this. All right, he's down there. He's asleep. It's not just that, but on top of the boat were these mariners, these, these sailors, right? Who were crying out to their false God, who were crying out, right? And the person who could do something about it, the person who knew the one true God who could solve all their problems, well, he was asleep in the belly of the boat. Or a punk, All right? Path of least resistance, right? Can you imagine having the solution to everyone's problems, having the answer to everyone's questions, having the, uh, the peace to bring to everyone's chaos, and just going to bed? You have the flippant answer, and you go take a nap. You have the solution, and you close your eyes and pull the blankie up to your chin. Well, buckle up, because I'm about to step on some toes today, because we all do that. Myself included, right? We all do that, right? We have the stinking answers, and we take a freaking nap, right? That's what we do. All of us in this room have heard the good news of Jesus. I told it to you last week. Right, You know the gospel. We have the answers. We have the way. We have the solution. The storm is raging, and we know the one who can calm the storm, but we go to sleep in the belly of the ship. We say nothing. All right? when, the, when the storm is raging, Foundry Church, God has called us to go into the nasty weather, and our reflex is to close the door, batten down the hatches, protect what is ours, let everyone else figure it out for themselves while well, we take a nap. And we roll over and we say, oh, they probably had it coming to them anyways. Right? They're in a mess of their own making. We make excuses. Right? We may not say it out loud, but when our neighbors are struggling with making ends meet, but they voted for the other guy, so our reflex is just to ignore their problems. Right? Right? They had to probably come in anyways. So we go into the belly of the ship and we fall asleep. Our coworker who's going through it in their marriage, right? But they don't believe in God. Right? In fact, they said some pretty negative things about the God you forge your life on. And so our reflex is not to offer to pray with them because we don't want to, you know, be embarrassed. So we just let them try to figure it out on their own. And we go into our boat. We go down into the belly of it and we fall asleep. Right? Spurgeon, he said it like this. He said, Jonah was asleep amid all that confusion and noise. And oh, Christian man, right? oh, foundry church. Right? For you to be indifferent to all that is going on in such a world as this, for you to be negligent of God's work in such a time as this, is just as strange the devil alone is making noise enough to wake all the Jonah's if they only want to awake (laughs) some of us while all our reflexes don't cause us to do anything at all they cause us to go to sleep and stay asleep Right? Because sleeping is easier than putting in the work. Sleeping is easier than, than fighting, taking enemy ground, forging ahead no matter, what, no matter what it takes for the sake of one more soul who doesn't know Jesus. Right? Sleeping is easier than taking that ground. But here's the thing with sleeping. No one can sleep forever. Right? Right? Try as we might, none of us are Rip Van Winkle. Right? And at some point, we get a wake-up call, right? Like Jonah, read with me verses 6, right? And then we're going to jump down to verse 11, right? He gets a wake-up call. It says, so the captain came and said to him, right? Came down into the belly of the ship, right? The captain came to him and said, what do you mean, you sleeper, right? Arise, Call out to your God, perhaps the God that you serve, will give a thought to us that we may not perish. All right, now, now jump down to verse 11. Then it says this. Then they said to him, what shall we do that the sea may quiet down for us? All right, now they, they know it's Jonah's fault. All right? For the sea grew more and more uh, Right, And he said to them, uh, Jonah said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. And then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know, that, uh, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest, this great storm, has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men uh, rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. Now look, notice in your Bible, it's not lower G God, it's upper G God, all Right? They called out to God. Oh, God, oh, Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, right? Don't let us perish because of this idiot, right? And lay us not uh, on innocent blood for you, oh, Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice. They worshipped to the Lord, and they made vows. They didn't just worship, right? They didn't just repent they reconciled, they, they made a change, right? right? And then verse 17, it says, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights. I guess we aren't gonna talk about the fish. <laughs> right. And so here's where we see Jonah's reflexes change, right? It's like we said last week, right? We might mess up, but God doesn't leave us there, right? Jonah's reflexes change to align with the calling of God. He starts to respond instead of react. Does that make sense? He starts to really act out of a response instead of out of a reflex. And so here's where Jonah says, I won't run anymore. In fact, I will lay down my life for the rescue of others. And remember, these sailors, they're not friends of Jonah. They're not fellow Jews. They are far from God. They're far from God, right? They, they were not people that Jonah instinctively wanted to help. They were probably closer in character to the people of Nineveh than God's chosen people, right? But Jonah finally gets on board with God's plan for his life, and he says, take my life so that they may know peace. Take my life so that they may know you, the one true God, Right? Jonah, in this moment, is a shining example of doing whatever it takes short of sin to forge ahead for the sake of one more soul. <laughs> That's what he's showing us now. Right? Jonah, he puts his stupid reflexes aside, and instead of running, he cannonballs it. He jumps in to the will of God, right? quite literally, right? to, the, to the mess He jumps into it, to the mess that God has called him into to save these people and eventually all of Nineveh. But that's next week's lesson. What can we learn about this today from this part of Jonah's story? How can we take the story of of reluctant prophet and and assure that our, our reflexes don't lead us in the wrong direction? That our reflexes don't don't take us to Tarshish instead of where God has called us. How do we instead follow the call of God in our lives? I think we must do two things. First, we must wake up, right? Just like Jonah had a wake up call. We must wake up, right? Church, here is the reality that we live in everywhere we go. Everywhere we go, we say, the grass is greener over there, Andrew. Bull, right? Wherever we go, it's Nineveh. It's the world we live in. Right? It's our mission field that we live in. That's why we're here. Right? We're not in heaven yet. So everywhere we go is Nineveh. <laughs> right? So we've got to wake up. Right? I don't think it takes much to realize that the world is not doing great. <laughs> right? But here's the thing. And again, tuck your toes in because I'm going to step on them. We cannot keep yelling about the world that is falling apart if we're not willing to wake up and do something about it, All Right? All right, what did Jesus tell his disciples when he went back up into heaven? He said, he said, go, go. It sounds a lot like he told Jonah, isn't it, All right? Uh, Jonah, get up, wake up. Go do something. You have this mission, right? We have this mission to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey these commandments as He has taught us. Go. Don't hide your head in the sand. Now, there's an old way of explaining this, an old preacher way, and it goes like this You might say, Andrew, 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 I'm not asleep, I'm awake. You're telling me to wake up, but I'm awake. I'm not asleep. I talk about Jesus. Well, listen, you can talk in your sleep, right? And it's worthless. And you know, okay, Andrew, I'm not asleep. I walk with Jesus. You can walk in your sleep, right? And it's worthless, right? I'm not asleep. I think about Jesus all the time. You can, you can think in your sleep. It's called dreaming, and it's worthless, Right? Right, Thinking and talking and walking uh, about Jesus are all great things, Foundry Church. But unless you're doing something with all of that, Foundry Church, unless you are talking about Jesus with people who do not know him, or walking with Jesus around people who don't know what he looks like, or thinking about Jesus while you pray for the unbeliever, you are asleep, and you're sleepwalking, you're sleep talking. You're dreaming. It's worthless. And if we're asleep in the belly of the boat of this world, then the winds will keep raging. They will keep beating us. They will keep raging and tearing us apart. And the ones that we love, and the storm won't stop because God has told us to arise and go, not to sleep and hide. Guys, I, I love you guys. I love our church, but I don't want to end here. I want, right? I, I want it to grow. Right? There are people in my life that I want them to know Jesus. And it's not just about filling butts and seats or, 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 or having some quota of baptisms, whatever it is. It's about them being with me in heaven for all of eternity, living out the purpose that God has created them to live. I want, I want us to grow in our hearts and minds, but I also want us to grow as an army of Christ because this world is falling apart and the only way to solve all the problems we see is for people to meet and to know the saving power and the grace and the truth of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done for each and every one of us, and what he can do for them. We want our Nineveh to change, our world to change, our culture to change. If we want those things, we need to reach our neighbors with the grace of Jesus. Right? And all my neighbors, uh, they all know Jesus. They go to different churches. Your street's pretty big. Right, your office is probably pretty big. All right. maybe, maybe it's not even the office or your street. Maybe it's the bedroom across the hall. They don't know Jesus. Right, we cannot run away from the things, uh, from things when, we get, when they get bad, when they get scary, or when it gets too much because oh, we're too sleepy to fight back. Listen, the, the call of the Christian is not to wag the finger... Uh, our finger at the the world and say no 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 bad 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 keep it away from me right that's not the call of the christian it's not to uh isolate into holy huddle right it's not to say keep that away keep that away no the call the christian is to go into that mess right do it wisely but to go into that message and to introduce people to the power of the saving grace of Jesus, to introduce people to the hope and to the light of the world, to show people that the storm calming, mountain moving, the gap bringing, the giant slaying, the lion taming, grave emptying, galaxy forming, God of all things says, wake up, sleeper, you have work to do. And whether you know God or don't know God, he's saying, wake up. My grace is for you. My truth is for you. I have a purpose for you that only you, I created you to do. So step into it. Change the world. Right? And that leads me to the second thing that we must do, and that is this we got to answer the call. (laughs) Right? We got to answer it. Right? Once we finally decide to wake up, we must answer the call and don't say, Andrew, ah. I'm not like Jonah. God never said to me, get up and go to the city to preach, right? I'm not a preacher, okay? right? I was teasing with Terry this week. You know, there's nothing special about ministers or people who work at churches. We're just paid to be good, right? And I told her everyone else is just good for nothing, right? (laughs) I'm just paid to be good, right? You just get to be good because you're doing the right thing, right? Right, once we finally decided to wake up, we must answer the call. So like I said, God has never said to me, get up and go to the city and preach. I'm not a preacher. You might be saying that, right? Well, maybe he didn't, but he did say, a go to every single one of us, right? right? He said, go into that place that you have influence. Go into your home, go into your neighborhood, go across the hall, go into your school, go into your workplace, answer my call. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, uh, he once said it like this. <clears throat> he said, not called, did you say? Ha <laughs> ha, that's how I imagined him saying it. Ha <laughs> ha, not heard the call, I think you should say. Put your ear down to the Bible and hear him. Bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burden, agonized heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful wail for help. Go to the next slide, Terry. Go stand by the gates of hell, he says, and hear the damned entreat you to go into their father's house and bid their brothers and their sisters and servants and masters not to come here. Then look Christ in the face whose mercy you have professed to obey and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstances in the march to publish his mercy to the world." (laughs) Because he says go to each and every one of us. Come on now. The world is crying out in the storm for a rescue. And God sent you. I haven't been a Christian that long. I haven't been forging my life on God that long. I don't really know who Jesus is. He has a purpose for you. When you forge your life on God, that does not mean we hang out at the gates of heaven, just outside the gates of heaven in our holy huddles, biding our time. Right? When we forge our life on God, we don't hang out there. Right, We're going to spend eternity inside the gates. We don't need to hang out for our time here on earth, outside the gates, just bidding our time. Right? When we, we forge our life on God, right, we stand at the gates of hell, tackling, putting in headlocks, right? carrying off every single person who comes near those gates. And we do that with the grace and the truth of Jesus. Right? Stop saying, I wish someone would do something about this mess. God has sent you into the mess. Don't run, don't sleep, don't ignore, don't wait for someone else to do it. Right? You've been called, now answer the freaking phone. All right? And here's the call, just so we're clear. Right? Here's what God has asked of us, and it comes from a prophet who came after Jonah and knew Jonah's story, and, and he saw it, and he looked, he, he looked like, like he wasn't going to answer, but he does. Right? And this is what he says in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, this, this prophet, he says, what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. That's your call. Right? When we are disciples who 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 goes into the world and we make disciples who who then in turn make disciples, right? That's our mission. We just spent the whole month of January talking about that. We do that. We we wake up to this call and we we step into it with, with justice and with love and kindness. And we walk humbly with our God. We do, as William Booth said, we put our ear down to the Bible because there's a call there, right? We do that to wake up the broken world that is around us and we fight for justice and we love others and we're kind to them and we walk with our God above all else, before all else, because he's the purpose and the thing that is in and through all. And you notice that there's no qualifier to the rec- this, this requirement from God. He doesn't say, fight for justice when, when you like the people that you're fighting for. He doesn't say, be kind to the people who are kind to you. Right? He doesn't say, love people who are easy to love. He doesn't say, walk humbly unless you're really, really, really good at what you do, then, then you can brag a little bit. He doesn't say that there's no qualifier. He says, do this all the time, in season, out of season, when it is easy, when it's hard, when our reflexes, when we just want to react Instead of respond, right, when everything is fighting against it, he says, this is your call, do it. Because you have friends, you have family, you have neighbors, you have kids who don't know Jesus. So I'm going to have the band come up here. And uh, Kirsten, she's out there guarding the, she's going to go down and she's going to get the kids. We're going to do something fun with them in just a minute. And Pastor Jim, don't worry. I'm going to calm it down when they get up here. Foundry Church, there, there is a lot of talk, you know, as, as they're waddling up here and getting ready. You might have seen on, on the social medias that there's a lot of talk about revival and what's taking place in college campuses all across the country. And listen, I love it. I absolutely love it. I talked about it last week a little bit, right? Revival is happening. But here's the thing revival happens each and every day right here. And and in this place, in, in your heart and your mind. It can happen in this place as well. I mean, just as they're getting ready here and the kids are coming up, I mean, just a, a few of scriptures here. It's getting dangerous because I'm ablibbing. <laughs> in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, it says, if my people humble themselves. Right? And seek after me, will I not heal their land? Sounds like a revival, right? right? If, if I walk humbly with God, if I seek justice, right? if I love and if I'm kind, will I not heal their land? Right? There's a, there's a few things that we want to make sure that you have. Because right? we're talking about revival, we're talking about these things. There's a few things that I want to make sure you have. We passed out these journals, and they're at the info center on your way out. And inside those journals is a discipleship guide. Right? And, and this discipleship guide, for example, we're using this each week at, at a small group in my house. And if you're not a part of a small group, you can come, you can be a part of that. Right? But you can take this, you can read this story of Jonah today with your kids, with your spouse by yourself you know what, not by yourself if you need someone, call me alright and you can be a disciple who makes disciples you dig into the word you pray for revival, you humble yourself you commit to this rejuvenation to this reconciliation you do that with your family, you ask these questions each and every week from the scripture it's in your bulletin, grab a bulletin, grab the journal on your way out But we also, next week, we're going to pass out a prayer guide to you. And you probably have had this. If you serve on one of our ministry teams, you've been given this prayer guide. All right? But let's just be honest, myself included. All right? We're given this prayer guide and we just keep it in the folder. But the prayer guide, it's nothing nothing fancy. It's just scripture. But I'm telling you if, you, if you take this discipleship guide, you take that prayer guide that we're going to pass out next week, and you do that once a night with your family around the dinner table, you do that with someone else in this community, all the stuff you're hearing about, revival, reconciliation, repentance, ground being taken for the kingdom of God, the people that are on your lock, right? That you've been praying for the people who are far from god they will know god i don't make many guarantees but god makes that one humble yourself love kindness walk humbly with the lord your god and revival isn't just going to happen in your heart and mind and in this place the flipping gates of hell are going to crash and the gates of heaven because of you are going to swing wide because of the power of the God that you're forging your life on and you said, know what? I'm not going to be like Jonah. I'm not going to go to sleep in the belly of the boat. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to answer the call. I'm going to do the mission that God has given me to go and make disciples. Disciples is just a fancy word for a follower of Jesus. All right? Starts with these little guys. Starts with your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family. All right. Pray for God to use you.